Welcome to episode 184 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. Make sure you're following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review. This week, we begin our spoiler review series for Marvel Studios' WandaVision, which has premiered this weekend on Disney+. And because we got two episodes of WandaVision, you're going to get two episodes of the podcast, starting with this one, our spoiler review for episode one, the operative word there being spoiler. If you somehow <laughs> have managed to not see WandaVision yet, then please stop the episode and come back to it after, stop this podcast episode and come back to it after you have seen the show. Or if you don't mind being spoiled, who cares? Go ahead and listen to the rest of the show. I am, of course, joined by the one and only Paul oh. Herman. Paul, Hi. the MCU is back. How does that make wow. you feel? It's It feels good. It, uh, it was kind of surreal hearing the music again, but for like, a different show or for something new. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought about how it, it probably, it wasn't supposed to be this way with vision and, and or excuse me, uh, Wanda vision coming out before black widow and how which we'll get into that. I think a little bit here, but, um, but no, I think the fact we're getting new material from Marvel is finally, it just feels good. It feels right. It feels like it's the right time. And it feels like, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons that it's kind of a new era of the MCU, which is, which is good. So yeah, it was, it was very surreal to kind of sit there and go, man, it's been a while since we've had something new MCU related. So it it felt really good. This is our first spoiler review, Paul, since July of 2019. It's been a year and a half since we've had an opportunity to talk spoilers on a brand new MCU story And it feels good to be doing this part of it, the podcasting part of it, because this has always been because this actually, Paul, coming up in what, like March, April ish is coming up on 10 years of us being on podcast together. Wow! So it's been it's for a long time. Spoiler reviews for I mean, since Thor spoiler reviews have been part of the thing that just kind of go along with the MCU and new stories in the MCU. So this is definitely a part of. Uh, normalcy for me, as is the MCU itself. And Mm. it's been such a regular part of my life with just watching the movies and then talking about them endlessly. And so to (laughs) finally be able to do that again, not in terms of a movie, but now with Disney Plus and being able to do this on a much more regular basis, thanks to Disney Plus series, it just feels good. And Mm. it felt kind of weird to even be close to a Marvel project again, because I was so used to as we get closer, something gets delayed. That was kind of the norm in 2020. Mm -hmm. So as we got closer to WandaVision, I knew it was coming out, but there was also just that sense of, Oh, is the rug going to get pulled out like any moment now? And it's not actually going to come out. But what really helped me was actually Marvel studios legends Last week, because when I watched those episodes, and they're just highlight reels previously on things for Wanda yeah. and Vision, but just watching those was allowed me to feel that sense of excitement and that hype, like this is real, it's happening, and we are actually working toward uh, seeing these episodes finally. And so I'm just I'm really happy that the MCU is back. I know that doesn't fix everything. I know that the world is still on fire, and a lot of things are terrible and tragic. But there is at least a little bit of comfort in the MCU. And comfort is key when we are talking about (laughs) WandaVision. 
So, Paul, before we get into the specifics of the episode, in in this podcast, we will be reviewing episode one. Episode two will be a separate podcast that should be available right around the time this one is. So you can listen to them back to back. But for episode one, Paul, uh, before Mm -hmm. we get into the details, just your overall impressions of the show thus far, having seen two episodes. Overall impressions is I am extremely uh, I say how do I explain this because I don't want to I don't want to I am extremely uh, impressed by the fact that they are going for something that's so out there and so different and the common the common uh, complaint criticism and the thing that the, a lot of the, the critics or the anti MCU people or whatever who want to you know yell at feige and marvel and saying they just do the same things over and over again they don't do things blah, blah, blah. you know they just kind of that, that's their go-to that's like the only thing that i think those people which again i i'm kind of you know someone that will give them some like credence to what they're saying because i think there is some there's a formula in some points to those films now this is something you cannot even remotely say that and the fact that this is very daring of the MCU actually. And that was something that they definitely telegraph into the trailers. But what I was not expecting what we got in, especially in this first episode. And, uh, we'll talk about that obviously, but yeah, this was, I'm very impressed that they're going something so out there, so different. And it's, this is not safe. And I think that to me is both, it kind of it challenges me and it's also makes me go it makes me hopeful because it means that there's hopefully going to be a payoff not just with this show but with other shows in the future so there there's a lot going right in on this, this series and i said that on twitter twitter the other day and i said this on the, on the podcast before that this is something that is i think going to be important for the mcu going forward and and the successful uh it being successful or not in, in, in whatever way it needs to be will probably help dictate, the I think, a, a lot of the creative side and, and direction for the MCU going forward in, in some way. Yeah, it's a huge, certainly a huge step for Marvel, a big swing, as people have been calling it, and a huge success so far, at least critically. I don't know how much Rotten Tomatoes really matters when we're talking about streaming. It probably doesn't matter at all, like when we're talking about movies and theaters and stuff like that, because I think people are either going to watch it or they're not based on their own excitement level. They're not going to care about what a bunch of reviews are saying, or maybe they will, but probably to a lesser extent. But none of that really matters. I think what I'm seeing is a lot of positive feedback and positive impressions on the show from the fandom, not just from critics. Seems like people are really impressed by it, and people are along for the ride of what Marvel Studios is doing. But I care not as much, quite so much about what other people think, about as much as I care what I think uh, and, and whether or not I'm enjoying the show. And I am really enjoying WandaVision. I've seen three episodes so far. I will be able to successfully compartmentalize because I've already been doing it. I'm pretending I don't know what happens in episode three as I'm talking about this episode and as I talk about episode two. But what I am most impressed by or among the things that I am most impressed by, as important as it is to be different, as important as it is to do something that you've never done for the audience before. And they're definitely, I mean, I think they've been doing that regularly and more often than they've been getting credit for at Marvel Studios. But certainly this is a completely different, a step in a completely different direction 
for the MCU. There's no question about that. It's as obvious in this one as it's ever been. And what I love so much about it is how well it's working in so many different ways simultaneously. What is this whole thing of having a sitcom show that's blended with the MCU? What I love so much about it is that the sitcom stuff that they're doing, it would have been fine just to make the sitcom stuff work as the sitcom stuff, as the cheesy, charming, mostly harmless jokes that you make in a sitcom, and to just be as corny as you want to be. And this show does all of that, but they're not doing that just for the sake of, we're in a sitcom, so this is what we're doing. Most, if not all, of the various events and dialogue, even in the in this sitcom reality, are really propelling the story forward. They're really moving the narrative forward, and they are developing these characters and revealing things about these characters. And I'll explain why as we go on, as we talk about the episode. But I'm really impressed at how they're able to do those all of those things at the same time. They are able to honor the sitcoms that they are paying homage to through this format, while at the same time really telling an engaging emotional story wrapped up in this enigma of what exactly is going on and and who's behind all of this and why. And so as they're continuing to peel back these different layers and answer some questions while while inspiring us to ask even more questions, and they're doing all of that while just being completely charming. This show is... Charming, sweet, funny, and also wicked and sinister at the same time, and emotionally devastating at the same time in certain moments. Uh, And I don't know how they did it. I just know that they did it. And I'm just completely impressed uh, and just taken aback by what they've been able to achieve creatively. So uh, we'll explain in detail now just how great this work is from the entire cast, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, uh, as well as the supporting cast, Catherine Hahn is amazing. We'll talk about that. Um, but director Matt Shackman, writer, head writer Jack Schaefer, the entire writing team on this, Mary Lovanos, the executive producer, and of course, Kevin Feige, who kind of hatched this idea. They're doing it. They're just knocking it out. Of, it's a big swing, and they're connecting and knocking it out of the park. So let's go into detail now with WandaVision. And you mentioned the music, Paul. The Michael Giacchino Marvel Studios fanfare is back. We get an updated logo, uh, as we always do, that includes more footage. So it's great seeing little bits of Endgame in there. Uh, We see him going through the quantum realm. We see uh, Cap with the hammer. We see Tony's snap. Uh, Great to see these new updates in the Marvel Studios logo. But I also love the way the music transitions as we go to the black and white TV. And it just has that. uh, All of the, the, the sound gets much, much smaller as we transition to the small screen. And then we get the theme song written by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. And this is our first clue. If you're listening to the lyrics, it seems just very, very cheesy. But there's a line in there where it says, how will this duo fit in and fulfill all by sharing a love like you've never seen? It's fulfill what? And that points to this idea that Wanda and Vision are here for a reason. They are here for a purpose. And we don't know what that is. They don't totally know what that is. Although, really, that purpose—let's be real—it's for the children, uh, and we'll get to that as we as we go along. But another key thing that I, I don't see being talked about quite as much in some of the analysis of WandaVision so far is the very first line that Wanda says. It starts out in this kitchen scene where where Vision walks in. 
the plate crashes on his head, and he says, my wife and her flying saucers. And Wanda's first line is, my husband and his indestructible head. That line really jumped out to me because Vision mm. doesn't have an indestructible head. The last time she saw Vision, his head was destroyed twice when she blew up the Mind Stone and when Thanos ripped it out of Vision's head. And that, and the way that the plate breaks, and then we see the plate on the ground, and the plate just, and she make, puts the plate back together. That's key to me because that's some sign of Vision being put back together. And I don't know if that's because Wanda put him back together or somebody else has sort of put him back together. Because I don't, I do think Vision is alive in some form in this. I don't think he's just completely imagined. And I'll we'll talk about more as we go along. Um, but that line in the kitchen scene, Paul, really jumped out to me uh, with Wanda talking about an indestructible head because I think that's what she wants Vision to have. Yeah, I think that it also shows that he is indestructible because, or as far as you know, with the, when Thanos took his, his stone out and he still he was still intact, and I think that there's something to that. His and head we wasn't. To, well, his head was it, his head was still intact though. I mean, it was it was it minus it was the cave. big hole in his forehead. Right, but I guess what I'm, I guess to me is that maybe a, we don't know what happened necessarily right afterwards, other than other than the fact that like you know he took the stone because I I take it to the you know the understanding to where I think she created it again, where so right. it's almost indestructible. That's where I the way I take it, where she's like, oh, it's indestructible because she made it that way, or and the fact that it was still intact at least you know head on shoulders anyway uh, when he took the stone. So I feel that there's something to that. That to me is where I, I thought it was was definitely interesting. And again, this whole the whole point of this episode and so far series, as far as we've seen, are these little little these hints th peppered throughout. Um, but yeah, I I definitely took to that, and it was like okay, like that's that's obviously a, a point they're they're emphasizing, which is which is interesting. So yeah, yeah I but I, I definitely think that the fact that she she made a point of it. She's the one that probably redid it, but I also think it's because his head was still intact when yeah. you know when he when he got crushed. Well, in this reality, his head is going to be indestructible because nothing's allowed to go wrong here, and right. I think that's kind of where Vision died in one reality. In this one, he's not gonna. You know, nobody's going to take anything away from Wanda in this reality. At least if if she can help it, and we'll go, we'll talk about more about that as we go on. But this is where I love it because it's a cheesy, corny sitcom joke, but it's actually saying something about Wanda and, and what she wants. And and we already see that something is amiss as we're going on here. Like there's a heart on the date, August 23rd on the calendar, and they don't know why. And they're really trying to figure out what this is. And it kind of points to this idea that Wanda and Vision have just been thrust into this reality. And they don't totally know exactly what's going on. Even if Wanda is the one creating this, and she might be, she may not, and we'll talk more about that as we go on, but even if she's the one creating this, maybe she thrusts herself into a situation that she doesn't fully understand, but uh, we get a, a really great, really fun kitchen scene and back and forth between these two characters, and it's sweet and it's funny, even as it's hinting at something more going on, and even as they're talking about something special today... Vision is going to discover that this is about a dinner with his boss, Mr. Hart, and his wife, Mrs. Hart, but there's something else going on. This is all for the children, because when Agnes shows up, um, also one uh, quick thing to note before we move on from the kitchen scene, 
Wanda giving the playful reminder uh, for Vision to fix his face and change into a more human-looking form goes back into the... or sets up an idea that we're going to talk more about in Episode 2, the idea of fitting in, which is something Wanda really wants to do in this reality. But when we meet Agnes, played by Katherine Hahn... A uh, quick note about Catherine Hunt's so good in this, just overall. And I love that she gets to make Catherine Hahn type jokes where she makes the naughty, the dirty jokes. That's something that Catherine Hunt is often doing and the stuff that she's been in before, whether you're talking about Bad Moms or Parks and Recreation or Step Brothers. Uh, she's always just been so great. And I love that she's getting away with certain jokes. It, they're not explicit they're not graphic or anything like that but she's making some jokes that maybe you wouldn't quite make in the 1950s or 60s with this one being 1950s era uh, dick van dyke style of uh, sitcom but agnes is making the comments you settled in fast did you you know did you use a moving company but that's really more setting the scene of wanda's just wanda and vision have just kind of shown up here but Agnes is saying these things that seem like nosy neighbor questions. That's how she was introduced to us. Catherine Hahn was introduced by Kevin Feige at D23 Expo as being in WandaVision, playing the nosy neighbor. And she's asking these questions, but that's not what she's doing. She is driving Wanda. She is steering WandaVision in a certain direction for a certain purpose. I don't see a ring wanting to make sure that they're, you know, you're talking about Wanda being single. I don't see a ring uh, making sure that Wanda is married. And then when she wants to talk about setting the scene for some special occasion tonight, talks about what about seduction techniques? This is all for the children. This is driving toward conception between Wanda and Vision. And uh, Agnes refers to her husband multiple times, Ralph. I don't know if we're going to meet Ralph or if that's just classic sitcom pun of one wife making fun of her husband all the time. But some people landed on an important thing. When Agnes talks about her, when she says her anniversary, when she talks about the only way her husband Ralph would know the anniversary if there was a beer called June 2nd, well, June 2nd actually has significance in witches. If Agnes is Agatha Harkness from Marvel Comics and she's a witch, I didn't catch this. Other people did and, and tip of the cap to it because people started sharing it. I've seen, but June 2nd, 1692 was the trial of Bridget Bishop, which is an inciting incident in the Salem witch trials. So mm. if we're going all the way back centuries old for a character like Agatha Harkness, uh, then that, that June 2nd, it might just be an Easter egg, or maybe that's going to point to a very long history for this character. But it's a great introduction for the character of Agnes in these scenes be, uh, between her and Wanda that does a great job of showing uh, she's playing a stereotypical role in a classic sitcom, but she's really propelling things forward and driving Wanda towards something that people in this reality want, which is Wanda and Vision to have children. Agatha is obviously there's she's helping drive everything. And and to me, to be honest, so far, Agatha has been my favorite part of the series um, because Catherine Hahn has been playing her in such a way that is she's done a great job of, of she's being it's like fake. It's like it's not real on the surface and there is an alternative uh, or there is a a motive to what she's trying to do. And to me, that's where I'm like, OK, where is Agatha this this version of Agatha Harkness anyway? What is what is her role in all this? Because in the comic books, Agatha was her mentor for years. And I know we talked about previously what exactly is 
I, I kind of, you know, wondering if that's still going to be the way in this in, in this MCU timeline. Is she going to be, you know, the same age for a long time? You know, because I'm just kind of like, where where exactly is she going to like fit into this? Because again, she was that mentor figure, and I I just don't know. And so, but she's been playing her so well that I'm just kind of like, I just don't really care because I think that I I I know they're going to figure something out and it's going to be creative and, and interesting. Um. I, I don't know. And I know people have said I've had one person tweet at me and say that obviously Ralph is Mephisto. And I was like, no, that's not that well, this is zany. I mean, if they if they did that route. That would be like extremely like like basically Kevin Feige went and did like mushrooms and then watched Twin Peaks and then was like, <laughs> OK, let's just do let's just do WandaVision and let's just go all for it, man. Like, that's what it feels like. And then if that was the case, he should have got David Lynch because that would have been nuts. Um, I don't think Mephisto is going to be in the series. I think he definitely is coming at some point, but I don't think it's WandaVision. That's that is a big pill to swallow, man. Um, but well, I so think with where all- the Mephisto stuff is coming from is, I mean, obviously there are things with the history of Wanda and Vision's children and Mephisto in the comics, but right. it's also because of a line that Catherine Hahn says, you know, jumping forward to episode two for just a second. Uh, the character Dottie says the line of, you know, the devil's in the details, Bev, and um, yeah. and Agnes says to Wanda, that's not the only place he is. So some acknowledgement of an existence of a devil figure is what's called, is part of what's just driving the Mephisto speculation right. that much more. And I, I think that besides, uh, I think as far as Agnes and jumping forward, not all the way to the end, but just talking about Agnes from a, a broader perspective while we're on the subject of this character. Yeah. We don't know why she's doing this. We know that she is driving Wanda toward a specific objective of having the children. Does that mean that Agnes wants them for sinister purposes? Not necessarily. Agnes no. could be, and, and maybe this is a departure from the comics where Agnes is Agatha Harkness, but she's not a mentor. She's going to be a, an antagonist for Wanda and Vision. That is totally possible. What's also totally possible is that Agnes is trapped in this reality with a lot of other characters, and she knows who's trapped them there, whether that's Wanda or maybe it's somebody else. And if it's somebody else... If Agnes knows that the children are coming either way, but the sooner that happens, the more Agnes can control and the more Agnes can help potentially, because if Ag- if Agnes can get these can get to the children before Mephisto or Ralph or whoever this is, maybe that will help save the children and maybe that will help save Wanda and Vision. So even though it may seem like what Agnes is being very sneaky and she's she's steering things in a very specific direction. We don't we still don't know why she's doing it. And that's what I was talking about at the top of the show. It's peeling back layers and it's revealing certain things and it's giving us answers of what is Agnes doing right now, but it's it's still inspiring more questions as why. And why is the question that matters. It's easy enough for us to uh, to spot what a character is doing, but why are they doing it? And we don't know that for uh, for Agnes just yet, yeah. um, which makes us like Vision, who doesn't know why anything is happening here. When we switch over to his job at Computational Services, Inc., where they produce computational forms for what? Who knows? Uh, to manage to track their input and their output. 
Um, we get a nice little setup that we're going to come back to later with Yakety Yak playing on the radio. But this is a very important scene because it's, it's playing as a cheesy sitcom thing of, oh, this guy doesn't really know why he's here and what they're doing. But it's important from a character perspective that Vision is questioning this reality. And it's not as direct or blatant in a way that he might, it's not as emphatic as it might be later on in the show. It's, it's very casual in this right now, but it is showing that Vision understands that something is amiss. And he's not, he's questioning it in a way that Wanda isn't, because whether Wanda's making this or not, she likes it here. Vision isn't quite so sure. And uh, I, I thought that was a really great, uh, a really great sequence um, with Vision and the people at the, at the office. And as we meet Mr. Hart, played by, played by Fred Malamed for the first time, uh, we meet another supporting character, Jones, uh, played by David Langle, who I really like in these episodes of the show. Uh, when Mr. Hart talks about as Jones is fired because of his failed dinner party, uh, because the wife thought five courses would be sufficient. The entertainment was a string quartet. And what Mr. Hart called an embarrassing display of beatnik enthusiasm was Jones having worn a turtleneck for the dinner party. I think Jones is a lot of fun. Uh, but also, I, I like that as we're having fun with this, uh, we're getting an important point here of, of vision, knowing that something's wrong here. This part of the show is is, is really kind of uh, vision. What vision's doing right now is just not exactly where I'm. I'm having trouble because I'm just like I, it's I'm having trouble kind of be uh, caring about vision. I I care more about Wanda, and it's mainly because Wanda to me is right now is what's driving, obviously everything so all this other stuff just feels like it just kind of just like okay get to get to the point you know with with this episode specifically and it kind of drags i'll be honest this this whole episode drags <laughs> um which i'm having trouble like uh articulating because it's, it's i feel like this episode's just very much um it doesn't really get to the point and that and that is the point right it's supposed to be a complete long kind of uh slow burn this whole series is going to be that way but this episode specifically is and the vision stuff though i i like i can appreciate what they're trying to do it was just kind of like okay I'm, i was just kind of sat there and i was like it wasn't really to me it didn't really do much other than just kind of show vision just kind of more humor kind of, you know throwback stuff so you know back in the 50s and 60s and and that's fine and i and i and i just for me i, I just didn't really it just doesn't i just wanted to get to the point a lot faster i think this is where it, they probably should have in my opinion anyway um done a little more to kind of entice the audience and kind of explain to them um, what's kind of going on and just kind of throw, just kind of give a little more insight, a little bit more instead of just being, uh, I hate to use, use the word cute, but just, that's what it felt like. It's like, we're going to tell you, but we're going to be very, very, very you know, mischievous and, and cute about it and try to like, you know, have you try to figure it out like a puzzle. And, and, and though that, that that's what the series is. And I like that there's at this point in this episode, I was like, Oh no, this is what's going to be like for a while. Cause once you find out that it's a dinner party, I just was like, oh, okay. So it's going to be a while. And then that's when it kind of, as we went on, I was like, oh boy. Um, but I, I mean, that's what worried. it has to be. If it's going to be in this sitcom reality, like you, well, first off, I mean, as far as it dragging, I disagree that it drags because I think 
the episode's only like 23, 24 minutes when you take out the credits. And that's what's the problem. <laughs> but that's what it should be. I mean, it's trying to be a classic sitcom. And, and that's what this yeah. first episode is doing. This first episode is very much in the sitcom format. And it's you're right. It's not necessarily driving the narrative forward in. I think it's driving it forward in more ways than I agree. Then, then people yeah. immediately notice when you really go back and you look at what the characters sure. are saying and, and, and start to examine exactly. the reasons why they might be saying it. But so I think it is doing that. And I think Vision's role here is still essential. Like, yes, Wanda is definitely the driver of things right now and really more of the main character and, and getting more of the focus than Vision. And because this reality is really made more for her, it would seem, than it is for Vision. And it's serving her more than it's serving Vision at this point in the story, that could change. But it is important to show that if we're going to have these two different characters, these two main characters in this reality, that they are reacting to it differently. And we see Wanda being a little more comfortable with it, being a little bit happier to be here and not questioning things quite as much, whereas Vision is the one saying, yeah. I don't know about this. And that I think it sets up two different emotional viewpoints and two different philosophies when they inevitably discover that this is not real that you know what how much does that matter whether it's real mm -hmm. or not how much yeah. does that matter can we be happy whether this is what everybody else would consider the real thing or not and maybe other things will will go on well they're they'll both just agree they need to break from this reality who knows but I think it's great to have these two characters responding to this very, very differently. And I don't really think it's, uh, again, I, I I don't think it's dragging here because I, I think you, you have to set up a classic sitcom plot. If you're going to be in this space, you need to do the things that these things do. And what's impressive to me about it is it's doing two things at once. It's doing, yes, here's the... Here's the high pressure dinner party because the you know the guy needs the promotion, a classic sitcom thing. While at the same time, we know it's more than that. We know that the the special occasion being a dinner with Mr. and Mrs. Hart is a ruse. Like that, that's to that is something that whoever's engineering this is using as a distraction. This is how we distract the questioning of the reality. In fact, vision. We don't even see the the bosses, the, the whole idea, the discovery that this is a dinner party for hosting Mr. and Mrs. Hart isn't even something Vision remembers or recalls. Mr. Hart doesn't walk out the door until after Vision starts questioning things. So I think that is part of, I, I think that's actually something of whoever's behind the scenes here is actively manipulating the situation. As soon as they start to question something, I distract with a task. And the task now is, we have to have this dinner party. And of course, another classic sitcom thing is they're both is we have the phone conversation between Wanda and Vision where they're talking about different things, but they think they're talking about the same thing. Um, and and I, I just you have to set up these classic sitcom situations, I think anyway. And I think the way they're doing it is very smart. It's very fun while also moving things forward. And, and it does need to be a slow burn. I mean, Cut to the chase is not really something you're going to do in episode one of a nine episode series like this is part of a longer form narrative is that things are going to take longer to develop. Um, but it's fair if the scene doesn't work for you, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not laughing at it or having fun with it, um, then obviously that's that is the thing that has to be achieved. I 
obviously had fun with the scene at uh, at Computational Services Inc. But I, I understand that you uh, that you didn't. Um, well, and, and just to, just to be fair, I, I I know I think the show is very smart, and I think that's almost a positive and a negative to a point where it's like it kind of and again for me it just. I I feel there needs to be a little bit more of a balance so far after two episodes. Now, again, the next episode's a, a little bit different story for me. But like, but this one was just kind of I just could not feel it out very well. And then th- that's the point. I get it, but it was just to me, it just felt even for as short as it was. Because I knew it was short going into it. This first episode, you know, and one of the reasons why I think they released two episodes it would seem, but um, maybe not. But going into it, I just kind of was like, okay, cool. Like, let's see. And it just kind of, it felt like at this point, just kind of, uh, you know, but at the same time, I could see when the series is done, this being not as bad or a little more entertaining because you could go back to certain things of dialogue and, and whatnot. But at this moment, as pure entertainment for me to sit down and like get excited, it was not exciting. Yeah, And, and I think that, I, I'm not alone in that. I know, and I know some people are are on your side. I think that that's the thing. I, I want to acknowledge the fact that I think there is a legitimate understanding of like, yeah, that this is not going to gel for everyone at least out the out the door, especially that first episode. And that's the impression that I have gotten from a lot of people. But and I just want to say that for me, I, if you're like that, I was one of them. This first episode, at least up until this point, was just kind of. Man, this is this is not exactly like getting me stoked. Like, and again, I know it's what it, what you're everything you're saying. I know what they're doing, but it just wasn't working. And at least at least from that standpoint. So that again, at this point in the show, I'm like, I'm getting a little bit nervous to be quite honest. So at, at least at this point. Yeah, when you're talking about comedy, you're talking about sitcoms and stuff like that. It is going to be very subjective in whether or not it's gelling for you. And if you liked it, great. If not, no worries. Um, the next thing that we get is the ad, and um, I want to. We're gonna do something out of order here. We're gonna skip the ad for now because it means a lot, and there's a lot to really go over about this ad for the Toastmate 2000 by Stark Industries. So uh, we will skip that for now, and we will come back to it toward the end of the show. So as Mr. and Mrs. Hart arrive and Vision uh, hosts them in the house. So we get this Sokovian greeting for Wanda to uh, Mr. Hart as she is wearing her nightgown. And this is the situation. Wanda has planned a romantic evening. All she has is a chocolate-covered strawberry. She has not made dinner because she did not know what Vision was actually talking about on the phone call. And we get this, and of course, this is the classic sitcom mix-up. Now there's a thing where this perfect home-cooked meal has to be made so that Vision can impress the boss and get the promotion and all of this stuff. And this is where things just get chaotic, uh, which is appropriate for Wanda. And I think it's really fun. Deborah Jo Rupp is so good in this scene when she talks about there's no tidbits or tartlets out there uh, and there's no pig in a blanket uh, for being hosted at this dinner party. And Agnes, of course, arrives and she's there to save the day for Wanda. And I think there's a fair question to ask here. And I but I actually think it might have something to do with Wanda as a character and what she wants. Wanda could make the dinner. If she can snap her fingers and change from being in a nightgown to being in her dress, and she can turn a chicken from being overcooked to eggs, 
she could just snap her fingers and have this five-course meal that she's supposed to have. She could do that, and she doesn't. So you could look at that one of two ways. Either this is a plot hole, or this is Wanda, again, making a choice. And I lean toward thinking it's a choice. This is part of the fun of it. Wanda likes being in this sitcom reality and these sitcom situations to a point. So she will allow things to be very convenient for her in some ways, but she will not allow her powers to make things overly convenient and solve every problem because having these hassles is part of living in this space. And so, uh, and it, it sets up the calamity that we would expect from a sitcom. So I was having a lot of fun during the dinner sequence. And then to the point where uh, Vision can't keep uh, Mrs. Hart from looking in the kitchen any longer. And he distracts her by singing Yakety Yak. And Deborah Jo starts actually dancing to it. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I, I did like this part, as well, at least from the amusing aspect of it. I'm like, okay. It's, again, it, it was uh, <laughs> the, the, the Yakety Yak like dance thing was just so... When she like started dancing to it to distract from the dishes, I was just like, "This is so absurd." But it, I, I still like you. I, I did actually enjoy it's, that. It it's was because so because Deborah Joe Rupp, she sells it. She does sell it. She's so good. She's such a class act, man. I love her. Uh, no, uh, I, I did like I did like a lot. Some of these things, I actually, genuinely laughed at a number of these things. Like when the lobster flew out, I actually mm-hmm. laughed at that. Um, there are some again. This is where to me it got more interesting because you got I get more Agnes and you got more Wanda and I, you got a lot more driving of all of a sudden she's like Wanda blah 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 like again you you know that she keeps showing up and I'm like okay what does that what does that mean um, again that driving the narrative if you will again that's what I, what I like and again I'm not saying I don't like side things or whatever but this is to me where I was like okay get let's get to me these more juicy things and and even though this was mostly just for a classic sitcom laughing I did like some of the bits just because they were so ironic and absurd that I couldn't help but like laugh at them but yeah this was a little bit more enjoyable at this point at least at least from like the entertainment value I'm like okay this is starting to pick up a little bit so yeah well I think that's the subjectivity of it right like the comedy that they're doing at computational services or whatever um isn't working for you but here we're getting into just full full full-blown sitcom inconvenience and chaos and it's working and it's funny and certainly Deborah Jo Rupp knows how to elevate a scene like that. Uh, she is yeah. so good. Um, whoever wrote Tidbits and Tartlets also deserves a win, uh, <laughs> deserves credit for that. Um, yeah. But uh, as then we act, we finally sit down for dinner. It's breakfast for dinner. Um, how European. And this is where the tone of this episode shifts. And that's where we get, and we'll talk about it when we get to episode two. There's more of a mix of tone in episode two than there is in this one this one we get like 20 minutes of we're in a sitcom and let's have fun with it and even when we're questioning it we're doing it politely and we're just kind of doing it for fun and and telling a few jokes with it we're not really getting into it we're not really wondering that we're not really getting the idea that something is wrong here in a very bad way not just something is off but something is really really wrong the dinner scene changes that, and, and it sets up the tonal transitions that we will see more frequently in episode two. But we get our big change in tone when they sit down for dinner. 
because it's just the usual questions. Where did you two move from? What brought you here? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? But there's the question about children. But then Mr. Hart is, what exactly is your story? Why did you come here? Why? And he gets upset, the banging on the table that we remember from the trailer. And it all results in him choking. And this is where it's so key because it's the way, speaking of Deborah Jo Rupp again, the way she reacts to it. At first, she's telling her husband, Arthur Hart, to stop it, and he can't stop it. And then she tells Wanda to stop it. She changes from looking at her husband to looking at Wanda and saying, stop it. And she goes from just kind of laughing this off to being genuinely upset by this. Her telling Wanda to stop it is important because it tells you that it tells you that either she thinks Wanda is doing this or that Wanda has the power to stop it, or both. The main thing is she knows that whether Wanda is doing this or not, Wanda has the ability to stop it. Who can't stop it, though? Vision can't stop it until he's told. And I think that's really important, that Vision Mm. doesn't know what to do. He's staring at Wanda almost as if he's waiting for permission to act. And that's a key thing about Vision's character here. I think he's back to life in some way, but I don't think he is all the way back. He has enough agency to question this reality. If he were com- if he was completely being piloted by Wanda or somebody else, then the directive would be don't ask questions, just enjoy being here. But Vision is curious. He is asking questions. He is wondering about the nature of this reality, but his agency only goes up until a point. And when we have what seems to be a break in this reality, a break in this facade, where now we go from everything's fine to, oh no, there's a genuinely dangerous situation here with somebody choking, which is not part of a sitcom reality. There's, mm-hmm. a, very, there's a very real danger that's happening here. Vision cannot act until Wanda says, Vision, help him. I think that's very, very important because Vision doesn't have to... You could say, well, he's waiting for permission because he's going to use his powers to help him. There's a thing called the Heimlich Maneuver. Vision didn't have to use the whole thing of reaching through his throat and pulling out the food. Didn't actually have to do that, but it was the quickest way to do it after Vision waited for so long. And why was he waiting? Because he needed Wanda to tell him what to do. Yeah, this is where... This is my obviously my favorite part of the the show because this is where... Things, if at least for me, um, maybe maybe I didn't uh, the only not the only person notice this, or maybe this is totally not the case. But it seemed that the type of film or camera they used changed when he started choking. Like it was purposeful. It went from the sitcom thing and the kind of like the graininess a little bit to where it came a more literal, nicer camera. And it was a more, uh, defined like black and white. Maybe I'm, I'm just seeing things, but it almost seemed like a completely different kind of camera at that point when they actually were sitting down and he was choking to emphasize that this is something that was different. I'm not sure if you've noticed that or not, Sean. Well, yeah, it definitely, you know, we're getting a lot of clarity there. I don't know if it's literally a change in camera or if it's just, you know, what they're doing 
in post-production or whatever it is. Sure. I'm not well, sure. Yeah, sure. The, yeah. the method is the, the method is unclear, but the effect I, I think is is very real there. Because yeah, they okay. they want you to see everybody's faces. They want you to see, right. you know, yeah. All of a sudden, it's like we're we're not bothered by being super high def or not because we're talking about 1950s television. But this scene, we are going to zoom in and we are going to make it clear exactly, exactly what these characters are thinking and, and processing yeah. here. And I think that was a creative, I think not just like a, Oh, we need to do this, you know, for, you know, whatever, but it was like, I felt like it was more of a creative decision. Like what's, what's emphasized and make it. So everything goes from this very, like, again, grainy, really kind of faded black and white to all of a sudden it just, it became like way clear. Like you said, more high def. Yeah. And just one where you're the environment, it's almost like the lighting in the room changes. Like the background is dark. The background is dark. The atmosphere is darker. And yes. you know the the light is mainly on the characters' faces. Yeah, that's well said. That's exactly it. That was really cool. And see, that's the kind of stuff that I was kind of thinking we were going to be getting in the series. And the, when we got that, and you have, I think, the great camera movements um, and cutting, and the great performances by everybody. That's what I was really wanting and expecting from the show. And it just took a while to get there. So when we got to this point, I went, okay, I get it. Like I get where we're going. You know, it was a little bit long for me, but this is what I was all about. And then you brought up a great point about the fact that Wanda had to tell Vision to do that. Now, again, Vision, we all can assume that and uh, that basically Vision's back. But how is he back, you know, and everything? I think that's very telling, like you said, because I was wondering, I'm like, why doesn't he get up and do something? And then when Wanda says it, I'm like, huh, OK. So it was interesting. And the fact that things kind of go back to normal once he does that. And I do think that there, you know, um, the, I keep forgetting, you know, I'm terrible with names. Uh, the, the, that 70 show mom. Uh, yeah. Deborah Joe Rupp. Yeah. Whatever her character's name Mrs. is. Hart. Uh, Mrs. Hart. Excuse me. Um, I think there's some, there's, I keep going back to this. There's something more with her. I think there's just something with her that I think there's, I don't know. I, maybe I'll be completely wrong, but I think, not the husband, but her herself. There's something there. And I don't know. And I just, yeah, her, she really sold it for me. Going from being able to go from that classic sitcom mom from like that 70s show, mm-hmm. basically, literally from, you know, in the, earlier in the episode to all of a sudden real dramatic acting was just really, really impressive, to be quite honest. And um, really just, again, I love this. That's the stuff I was hoping we were signing up for. Um, it was great. And I think that, like you said, Sean, it really tells you what, where exactly everything is in Wanda and Wanda is driving it, but something, what else is driving Wanda? Right. So, and that, that to me was really fascinating because even Wanda just, she can't wrap her head around what's going on. That's why to me, when she says vision, do something like that to me was even more like impressed or interesting because I'm like, okay, she doesn't even understand that like you said, Vision has to wait for Wanda to tell him, but she doesn't even realize that. I think she so might. I think that the way she says it, so? the way she says okay. it, if you go back and look at it, it and it's even listen to the tone, like it sounds like she's giving him an order. And, mm. you know, like it, she's very calm about it. She's just Vision, help him, and very serious. And I don't think yeah, she's, I, I don't, way, she's yeah. giving this command. I don't think because it's not because she's mystified by why vision hasn't already intervened. I don't think that's it. I think she knows that vision is waiting for her 
And she's hesitating because uh, Mr. Hart, it, it's, I don't think she minded for a second that Mr. Hart was choking. And mm. I'll talk about this more in episode two, but the people who really question Wanda and Vision, they end up being harmed in a way that is not directly Wanda's fault, but it, it's not clear that she totally minds it, at least not immediately. And I, I think, although it's a little more clear that she she doesn't seem to like it in the second episode. In the first episode, though, here with Mr. Hart, she's hesitating because if Mr. Hart chokes and dies, well, the questions stop from him permanently. And that's not for me to say that Wanda is a murderer or anything like that. I don't think she made, or though, did she make Mr. Hart choke? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Um, I'm not really thinking it's quite to that extent. But the question stopped, and that was the most important thing. And even acknowledging the danger of this, I think, you know, why is Vision waiting for permission? Well, I think some of that is he's not all the way back. He's not back to life in fully the way that he was before the Mind Stone was ripped out of his head. Um, but why is he waiting for permission? It's because of what's happening here. For Vision to have to intervene means there is a real danger, meaning someone has to be saved. This is not a reality where people are supposed to have to be saved. That's the real world that Vision and Wanda lived in, was people needed to be saved. Danger was real, and if they don't intervene, people die. In the sitcom reality, the stakes aren't supposed to be life or death. In 1950s Dick Van Dyke era sitcoms, the stakes are not, we help people or they die. But that's what's happening in this scene. So it's a break in the reality that Wanda's been enjoying up until this point and for Vision to even intervene as opposed to in a normal sitcom reality, you could say maybe they would do the Heimlich and that's probably true, but another thing they might do, but it would all just be for laughs. The danger isn't real. and it, Or if it wasn't going to be the, the Heimlich, then Mr. Hart would eventually cough up whatever was lodged in his throat. So for Vision to even intervene and do superhero powers and save a life is more of a real world act to him than this sitcom reality. And so if there's going to be anything that crosses that line, that breaks that reality, that's where Wanda is the one who has to give permission and allow that to happen. And so I, I think that's part of the part of the hesitation there. I don't think that Wanda doesn't know or understand why Vision hasn't been hasn't acted in this, that why he hasn't just gone ahead and saved Mr. Hart, because she's not doing it either, and she could also save Mr. Hart. So I think she knows that that Vision was waiting for instructions, that he was waiting for a command, waiting for permission, and after hesitating for an uncomfortable amount of time, she finally gave it. Yeah, that was that's a, that's a good point. I, I I read it as she was just kind of confused of what's going on and just was kind of just staring, because I, I agree with you that I think she she could have caused him to choke. I it's I think that's what to me what I like this the show so much so far is because you it's really you, you don't really know the motivation and characterization of Wanda at this point because it's so up in the air everything is up in the air and I tend to believe a little bit of everything but yeah it was it was very interesting how she reacted and again Elizabeth Olsen gets should get a lot of credit uh oh, yeah. for how she's she's pulling this off man because yeah. Emmy nomination she, on the way yeah for sure and rightfully so already after two episodes, the, how she's able to go back and forth and, and really portray this character in this way has been very, very fascinating. So, yeah, I, 
I, I tend to think that like she's she she's aware, but not fully aware of what's going on. Right. I mean, I, I, it's obvious, but I mean, like even like to the point where she's controlling vision. I don't, I, it doesn't seem that way to me. I think she's, she's, she knows that she's controlling, but not to the extent and not to the, you know, where it's, she's fully, uh, even like realizing that yeah. like she, what's, what she's doing, but that's kind of where I'm, or yeah. I'm, where no, I'm I agree with that. I, I don't think when I'm saying that maybe she made like Mr. Hart choke, I don't think it's a conscious choice. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. I think it's yes, yes. an intense moment where like subconsciously, like her powers kind of manifest, you know, because it's a, it's almost a, a reflex because he's pounding on the table. He's being very threatening in the, in not just asking the, the questions, but the way he's asking the questions. And so that's what I think it is. It's almost like, you know, there's this break in the reality and maybe that's, it's not even Wanda doing it, but it's just, again, it's not a conscious thing, but when she's threatened and when this reality is threatened. And that might be whoever's behind this. It may not even necessarily be Wanda, but something is amiss. And, you know, Mr. Hart is is harmed in this way. And, and he is directly physically threatened in this way with the choking. Um, and so I agree with you that I, I don't think Wanda totally understands what she's doing and what her power is in this reality. But she knows that she has some. And she knows she has the ability to manipulate things in certain ways. I do think she knows and, and understood that Vision was kind of waiting for uh, waiting for permission just because of the way that she gives the command. But yeah, it's a great performance by Elizabeth Olsen. I think initially she doesn't totally get it because this situation is just so, you know, it's a, it's a reality break. It's a complete shift in what her understanding of what the last several hours or however long this has been going on in her life have been. Um, we're, we're breaking from that. And so she's, she is initially, I think, confused by that, but I do think she kind of settles into the moment and then tells vision what to do because he needs to be told, uh, what to do. And I don't think, and, and again, I don't think that's, that means that vision is just Wanda's puppet and she's pulling the strings. I, I don't necessarily think that's what it is either, but I do think that she's gaining some sort of understanding that, she's in control here or at least has some control and has certainly has more control than a lot of these other characters and, and more control than vision, uh, at, uh, at this point, but it's a great scene. And yeah, the tonal shift takes it from Dick Van Dyke to, you know, twilight zone at the end of this. And, and there's even more twilight zone when we talk about episode two, but then the episode, mm -hmm. the tone shifts right back. You know, the, the danger is gone. Mr. Hart is no longer choking and now it's like, hey, great dinner party. And everybody just kind of snaps out of it with no acknowledgement of how weird it was that, and how dangerous this situation was that just happened. We snap back to sitcom. Uh, great party. We'll talk about your promotion on Monday. And it's a happy ending for Wanda and Vision. And they fill in the blanks. When's our anniversary? Today's our anniversary. Uh, what's our song? Yakety yak, naturally. And what about the rings? And then Vision says, why don't you make some for us? Wanda makes them. And we get this happy ending. And we get the credits and... I don't know all of these names. Um, you know, I'm sure these are Easter eggs, probably a yeah. combination of Marvel. I was looking, I was looking at, them. I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't get them off. the. I think of some head. of these are, some of these might have Marvel things. I, I think some of these are probably, I would imagine classic people who've maybe been responsible for some classic sitcoms and maybe be in there. But like, I mean, produced by ba Babs Digby is like, you couldn't have a more 1950s sitcom producer name than Babs Digby. So, yeah. um, but when we pull back uh, and, and as we, we see that someone is watching and who's watching sword, we see the logo on the screen, on the computer screens. 
Um, it does look like it might be a woman's hand. So uh, as some folks on our Discord have pointed out, and I, and I think maybe uh, we've seen this elsewhere, is this Darcy, uh, Darcy Lewis, played by Kat Dennings, watching these screens. Um, but there's also a very important cameo, a piece of equipment in this scene. So if you look to the bottom right, you will see this uh, device that has these light-up buttons um, that's just sitting on the table. Uh, that device, I don't think that's its purpose in the show. It's just there because it looks cool and it lights up. Uh, that device is actually a Rodecaster Pro. We are recording this podcast on a Rodecaster Pro right now. Uh, so it's nice to have a piece of our podcasting equipment. This isn't literally the same uh, one, same model. Um but it's nice to have a piece of equipment that we record this podcast on showing up in uh, in the MCU, regardless of whether or not that is its official purpose. Um, but then another big tonal shift happens when we switch to the when we switch from the fictional end credits to the real end credits. The music, the mu- and Christoph Beck, who composed the score for this series, such an amazing job of doing the the classic sitcom music. But then this tonal shift with the credits where yeah, we're watching a mystery series. That, that's what yeah. we're watching right now. We're not, the characters are in a sitcom right now, but that's not really what we're watching. And so the mystery, the intrigue, the suspense um, of the series, what the sitcom reality was hinting at, that something is amiss, some, there's something wicked in this, there's something sinister in this, and the music during the real end credits for us uh, sells that. So I thought that was a great touch at the end. Yeah, I, I think the... The, the music, the end ends credit uh, score is really cool. I definitely think that music is, is a solid, solid piece of, of work. And I think the ending is definitely, it's, it's so intriguing. Yeah. So, so intriguing. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I, I didn't, the show kind of, you know, didn't really hit me off right off the bat. And I definitely, it had me more at the end. And I think that with that television thing and not seeing who's watching it, even though it could be, you know, whoever's watching it, it was interesting. And I love that. I love the mystery aspect. So that was definitely a great touch to end with it. Yeah, it really was. And, um, you know, and I, and I think sword is watching at this point. I don't really think this means that sword is the one creating this reality, but we'll talk more about that as we get into episode two. But before we wrap up, I want to go back as we said, we would, to the ad for the Toastmate 2000 by Stark Industries. This plays itself as a harmless MCU Easter egg. Well, we know that Stark Industries was around in the 1950s, so of course they I mean, they were around before that. We see it in Captain America, the first Avenger in the 1940s. So we know that Stark Industries was around. And we get the, when the toast goes down in the Toastmate 2000, we get the repulsor sound, classic Iron Man sound effect. But... This scene is much more than that. It's not harmless at all. It's actually the most emotionally devastating Easter egg I've ever seen. And I didn't even know that Easter eggs could be emotionally devastating. But this is really hinting at what's going on in this series. That a lot of this, Wanda's creation of this reality, or if she's not the one creating it, her comfort and enjoyment in this reality is is her way of coping with something much, much heavier, and that is her long history of emotional trauma. There's a reason the toaster takes so long to go off. It's because if we go back to Wanda and Pietro, it's really Pietro telling the story in Age of Ultron, their origin, or at least the beginning of their hatred for Tony Stark, 
is because when they were in Soko as they were living in Sokovia, they were struck their building was struck by two Stark shells. One missile is the one that killed their parents. And then as they were in the rubble, they were laying next to another one, just staring at this shell, staring at this missile, waiting for it to go off. And every shift in the rubble could be the end for them. It could kill them. And there was one name on that missile, and that name was Stark. And so that's what's happening with the toaster. That's why the red light is beeping. That's why there's a red light blinking. That's why there's the beeping. I can't think of a red, a blinking red light or beeping that wasn't part of the story that Pietro was describing, and I can't think of anything else that fits that for Wanda and Pietro, but I think the reason why we have the red light, even in the black and white sequence, and the reason we have the beeping, I think that's just to sell the tension, because if you let it be silent like the missile presumably was, then it might be more, it might be confused as a comedic effect. It's just awkward that the toaster isn't working, but the beeping, the blinking red light, and the way the pacing of the beeping, it speeds up as it goes along, that's ratcheting up the tension. It's trying to give you as an audience member some sense of the tension, of the fear, of you know just the, the waiting and the intensity of that waiting that Wanda and Pietro experienced as they were staring at that missile. Obviously, it's not the same because whether or not the toast comes up is not life or death like it was for Wanda and Pietro, but it is this tense moment of sitting and waiting for this start, this piece of Stark tech, as rudimentary as a toaster is, this piece of Stark tech to go off. And that's why I, I think it is a brilliant little touch that could just be a throwaway thing of we're doing classic sitcoms, so let's have a classic sitcom ad and let's use a name that people know from the MCU. Great. This fulfills that purpose, but it also means so much more. And, and, and it really goes into emotionally what's going on in this series. I loved this ad. I thought it was one of the, as brilliant of a moment as there was in this entire episode. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I read it, you know, I, I didn't even think about that, Sean, but what I read into it was Stark, again, for me, there was Stark and there was um, he, Vision's more, be more involved in it. And that's what the way I took it as, that per, perhaps that Stark Industries tried to repair Vision and then that was a part of it and there was a burnt toast. Again, I love these. The ads are sweet because they are those Easter eggs, and there are there is a, going to be a way to interpret them, and they're but they're obviously not meant to be outright obvious either. So, but to me, I read it as that it was you know they tried to revive Vision the wrong way or not the wrong way, but the one way, and it didn't work, and it fried him, and therefore. That's, you know, to me, that's where it kind of, I read it into it as anyway, but some, somehow technology based Stark, it's all, that's obvious with the toaster and Stark's name on it, obviously, but I, in the way it failed, that's the way I looked at it as like, there was like Stark failed Wanda. And this is like her, it's basically her, the whole Wanda vision is her taking her, you know, what she wants into her own hands, literally, and yeah. making this world because Stark and his technology couldn't save vision yeah i mean and i know people have pointed out there's a, a moment in tom king's i think it's in tom king's vision run where you get the flashback of the relationship with wanda and vision where she calls vision a toaster um so there is that little bit of it but i think it's this is really about wanda and her past i mean the tagline for the toast mate 2000 that we get at the end is forget the past this is your future 
Don't think about all that other stuff. Don't think about your trauma. Don't think about all the horror that you've seen that you've experienced in your life. Just focus on now. This is your future. This reality that we're in right now that feels so comfortable this is what this is your this is not only your future this is your present and it's going to just keep going and everything's going to be fine just forget about all that other stuff i think it's definitely about wanda and and i think the ad in the second episode just cements that because we'll talk about the the strucker watch but this really points to kind of the the core meaning of the show in in some ways or one of the core themes in the show and you talked about this as well a number of episodes like Wanda processing her grief. And it's it's all of those things. It's grief, it's loss, it's trauma. Because for Wanda, I mean, it's traumatic to be a child staring at a missile that you think is going to blow you up with your twin brother when a, a previous one took your parents. By the way, are these Wanda's parents? Because we see them in this ad, we see them in the second ad. So um, who are mm. these two people who are popping up in these ads? That might be something uh, that that we see that Wanda may have some emotional connection to these characters at some point, whether they're her parents or someone else. And so I, I think that is something that is certainly worth examining. Uh, but also, why sitcoms? Why is this reality even here in the first place? And Wanda, why does Wanda seem to enjoy it? And this is something I said on the podcast roughly a year ago, and I think I said it on the Patreon before that. I think the reason why we're seeing sitcoms here and why Wanda enjoys it so much is that this was comfort to her. This is safe for her. This is ideal because I I think that as Zemo describes in Civil War, that Sokovia was a failed state before the Avengers or Ultron or any of that. Before any of that stuff happened, Sokovia was already a bad place. And it was already a place that wouldn't have been very safe uh, for a couple of kids like Wanda and Pietro to grow up in. And so the moments where Wanda probably was allowed to briefly feel safe and feel okay was probably watching reruns of classic sitcoms. That was her in Sokovia, probably some TV where they, some small TV where her and Pietro, or maybe it was just her because maybe Pietro didn't care, but sitting down watching these sitcoms, that was safe, that was comfortable, that was where she was able to escape escape from reality, escape from trauma, escape from danger, and just live in this space. And I think there's something very relatable to that for a lot of us. I mean, I talked about top of this episode. The MCU is comfortable for me. It is part of just normal for me is being able to escape into these stories. And I think these stories do a really good job of having very real-world emotional themes So these movies, these stories have a way of helping us examine very real things. So it's not pure escapism, but it can be. And I think that's the part that is relatable is no matter what's going on, that a lot of us have something that we can escape into, whether it's the movies you like, the TV shows you like, the music you like, whatever it is, art has the power to take us away from some of these things, or at least momentarily allow us to live outside of our trauma and live outside. And and even if it's not traumatic, just the daily hassles of life, that there are these things that we can kind of escape into. But that's also part of the theme here is that there is the danger of escapism where if you don't check back in, that escapism, if you're using it to, if you're using it as a way to gain additional perspective, if you're using it as a way, as a temporary reprieve, that's okay. But if you're just trying to use escapism as a form of denial, of just pretending that your real world problems don't exist, 
then that becomes a very harmful thing. And, and so I, I think there is something very, very real, very true, very relatable in that in this fantastical, crazy, half sitcom, half MCU epic wrapped up in a mystery, this crazy enigma of that they've put together here uh, with this puzzle uh, that is WandaVision. There's something very, very real here. Whether Wanda watch classic sitcoms or not, I think the main point here is, though, is that this is comfortable, that this is escapism, and, and examining our relationship with escapism and the comfort that we find in it um, is something very, very interesting and even more fascinating for something like the MCU, the world's favorite form of escapism for the past decade plus, uh, is really, really fascinating. And I just can't wait to see how this continues to unfold uh, as we proceed through WandaVision. Uh, but that will wrap up our uh, our spoiler review for episode one of WandaVision. Our spoiler review for episode two will follow very, very soon after this. Uh, but before we get out of here, just want to take a moment to thank Stuart F. and Blue Devil, some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, where we have exclusive podcasts not available anywhere else. And we also have a Patreon-exclusive Discord community, where we host events, including watch vision So every Saturday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, I will be hosting a watch party on our Discord where we will watch WandaVision together. So by the time you're hearing this, uh, you may have already missed the first installment of watch vision on Saturday, January 16th. But every Saturday, I'll be doing this 4 p.m. Pacific time. So sign up over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. You'll be able to join our Patreon-exclusive Discord, and you'll be able to hang out with us and watch uh, WandaVision with myself, as well as a great group of Marvel fans that we have as part of our community. And as I said before, make sure you're following us everywhere you can, at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again very, very soon.